Hello and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Niall Boyce, editor of The Lancet Psychiatry. Thinking back over our first year of publication, it's hard to think of any topic which has been more controversial than the one we're talking about today, that is marijuana. Publications on the health effects of marijuana, and specifically its effects on mental health, tend to be interpreted according to where you are on the political spectrum. The same data might be used by some to argue for legalization and by others to press for a crackdown. But what's been missing so far is a really good data set showing what happens in the real world when marijuana legislation changes. So the paper uh, on the table in front of me today is, I think, of of great interest. And I'm very pleased to be joined over the line by its author, uh, Professor Deborah Hassan. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah. I wonder if you could tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Well, thanks very much for asking me to join in this discussion. I'm a substance abuse epidemiologist at Columbia University and New York State Psychiatric Institute in New York City, USA, where I direct a research group and a training program for young investigators. I've been doing studies of drug and alcohol problems in different populations for many years. Thanks, Deborah. So let's talk about the paper, which is about state medical marijuana laws and adolescent marijuana use in the United States. It covers a big time period, 1991 to 2014. It's a huge amount of scope, actually, uh, time-wise and geographically. How have medical marijuana laws changed over the quarter century or so, which, which your data covers? Well, they've actually changed pretty dramatically. In the earliest years of this time period, from 1991 to 2014, when we studied, no state had a medical marijuana law at all. That would be a law permitting the use of marijuana for medical purposes. But starting with California in 1996, more and more states have gradually passed medical marijuana laws over time. At present, 23 of the 50 U.S. states have medical marijuana laws, so that's nearly half of them by now. Okay, so that's that's a large number. And the big concern here, as I understand it, is that as these medical marijuana laws are passed, that might have some effect on adolescent use of the drug. Is that correct? Well, there have been some people that have been really quite concerned that medical marijuana laws, quote, send the wrong message to teens, unquote. So that by saying that marijuana is safe for medical patients, it's actually conveying a message that it's harmless for adolescents. Other people have been concerned less about the message and more about availability. So they've been worried that medical marijuana laws could make marijuana more available to teens. And then on the other hand, still others have thought that medical marijuana laws might actually discourage teen marijuana use um, by causing teenagers to associate marijuana use with medical problems rather than recreation or fun. So there have been a lot of different opinions about this. So we have the opinions. Let's look at the facts. In fact, let's look specifically at your study. You decided to address two main questions. Right. We asked two main questions. The first was whether states with medical marijuana laws had higher rates of marijuana use than other states. We had shown this relationship before in earlier surveys, but we wanted to see if it was still there in recent data. Answering this first question provides a context for the second one. The second question was whether adolescent marijuana use increased after medical marijuana laws were passed. This question, by building in an important before and after piece of information, would help us understand if there was a causal relationship between the laws, the medical marijuana laws, and subsequent adolescent marijuana use. We answered the question also controlling for overall national trends in adolescent marijuana use. 
Thanks. Let's, let's go back a bit and talk about the data uh, that you used to address these questions. They were derived from a survey called Monitoring the Future, which is, as I understand, a US-based survey. But uh, what is it exactly, and what are the advantages and the disadvantages of, of using it? Well, yes, you're right. It is a US survey. Monitoring the Future, or MTF as we call it, is a large-scale yearly national survey of substance use and other things among school students. So since 1991, Monitoring the Future has surveyed 8th, 10th, and 12th graders every year, and that would be the British equivalent of uh, students in years 9, 11, and 13 in your system. Students answer questionnaires about themselves, including drug use and privacy. Studies have attested to the validity of this Monitoring the Future data. An advantage of monitoring the future is that the questions about drug use have remained stable. They've remained the same over these many years, allowing what is now over a million adolescents to be analyzed over a longer period of time than is possible in any other survey. Okay, so what we've got are snapshots, which when we take them longitudinally, build up into the bigger picture across time and geographically. So let's go back to the two questions which you asked, which were whether marijuana use was higher overall in states that ever passed uh, medical marijuana laws up to 2014, and whether the risk of use changed in the states where these laws were passed. Well, first question, we did find that marijuana use was higher in states that had passed medical marijuana laws than other states, confirming our earlier results. And that's actually the case regardless of what year the law was passed in. However, in answering the second question, we found no evidence that adolescent marijuana use increased after the medical marijuana laws were passed in the states that had those laws. Okay, and, and that last point is, is very interesting because there was one thing which really caught my eye in, in this paper, which is that you say uh, the debate over the role of medical marijuana laws in adolescent marijuana use should cease and resources should be applied to identifying the factors that do affect risk. So in other words, this is, this is a very rare thing for an editor to read. No further research should be done into these specific questions. Well, we made this statement for a number of reasons. So first of all, with more and more people now believing that marijuana use is harmless, and opinions about that are changing, I think in the U.S. as well as elsewhere, the fact that early teenage use of marijuana can have lasting harmful effects does still need to be emphasized. Given that, identifying the things that can lead to such early marijuana use is a very important priority. Research resources are limited. They should be used where they can really make a difference. Given the number of adolescents included in our study and the long time span that we covered, it was hard for us to imagine that a more limited study would find valid results showing that medical marijuana laws increase adolescent marijuana use. We therefore felt that researchers should turn their attention to identifying factors that could really have an effect so that efforts could be made to change those factors. Okay, and that's a very important point you make. In my experience, it's not uncommon uh, to talk to people who say, you know, I believe that use of cannabis, use of marijuana has a very problematic effects on mental health, but nevertheless, I think that the legal situation uh, needs to be uh, thought about carefully and, and possibly reviewed, that those two opinions aren't, aren't necessarily contradictory. Of course, we'll, we'll wait and see what readers make of this paper, and naturally the debate over the legal status of cannabis uh, will continue. It's not well, just I'm sure a, that's yeah, true. Yeah, it's not, it's not just a health issue, is it? It's, it's, it's not just an evidence issue, it's a political issue. And um, right. I was going to ask you if you think that scientific evidence is something that the policymakers really pay attention to, and, and if researchers can really make their voices heard uh, in, in this area specifically. I think we all know that some politicians do pay attention to scientific evidence, and unfortunately, some others do not. 
I think that if a clear case is made about how scientific findings will advance the interests of policymakers, then research has a chance to have an influence. A good way to get the word out there, of course, is to publish in a good journal, and Lancet Psychiatry is certainly one of those journals. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, there's clearly plenty to think about and to talk about in this paper. And as ever, I'll be very happy to read the letters and, and indeed tweets uh, that people send us on the topic. You can tweet us at, at the Lancet Psych. But for now, many thanks again, Deborah, for joining us. Thank you very much for asking me. And thanks also to the listener, indeed, for downloading and uh, hearing this podcast. And I hope that you will join us again next time. But for now, goodbye.